We've had contentious presidential elections. My goodness, go back to the founding of the Republic. They were vicious elections right. and there were no holds barred. But we've never had a climate like this. Right. I think it's, I think this election, frankly, I believe that Donald Trump's presidency is the greatest threat to the country since the Civil War. Hi, I'm Gina Cerrito, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Lynn White and Judy Licht. We're the News Broads, broads casting about the news and all things media. We're here to give you insights on how it all works. A look at the news you won't find anywhere else. Thanks to the coronavirus, the challenges to the 2020 presidential election are unprecedented, with no rallies, no door-to-door canvassing, maybe even no conventions. How will the campaign cope in this uncharted territory, and how is it going to affect the outcome of the election itself? Well, the news broads wondered what role the media was going to play in all of this, and that's why we wanted to talk to Robert Zimmerman. Aside from running his own advertising and public relations firm, He's a member of the Democratic National Committee. He's a superdelegate and a major national Democratic fundraiser. So you probably also know him, best know him, as a frequent political commentator on CNN, MSNBC, and even Fox from time to time. So welcome, Robert. You really cover all bases, don't you? (laughs) Let me tell you, the worst part is being called a major fundraiser because that makes the phone ring more. So (laughs) try to avoid you try to avoid that, but it's part of the it's part of the challenge this year. It yeah. really is. Well, it is a challenge. I mean, we're in the middle of an incredible pandemic, the likes of which we haven't seen. How do you think this is going to change the campaign and election? You know, it's it, first. I have to say, it's so exciting for me to be part of one of the hottest podcasts. Going, congratulations to the news broads oh, because you're getting you so a lot much. of great buzz. So it's really exciting in that oh, respect. That's so nice. Part of it. But you. I want to tell you though. It's this, every presidential election has its challenges and has a different dynamic. This is a revolution in how we engage with each other. This is, this podcast is one, yet another example. They've increased in popularity as uh, people are more isolated and more quarantined as a result of coronavirus. So we're going to have a, a real, I think, a revolution. You know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Well, these are the, yeah. this is the mother of necessity how to respond to coronavirus and what it represents. So you're going to see, I think, obviously you shouldn't discount traditional media. That's gonna be important, that's gonna be defining. But it's also important to understand social media and how, it, and how one communicates also is gonna have enormous impact more than ever before. And you, know, you, saw the growth, you saw its emergence uh, in the last election, but I think this time, because people, and you know, the Pew Research Center pointed out very well, We've never received we have more access for information. We've never received more information, yet we're digesting less of it. And we're actually less fact-based in our discussions, despite the fact we've never had more fact-checking opportunities and more reason to fact-check. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? I think people are overwhelmed. I think that's part of it. I think people get such a barrage of information coming at them so consistently and so aggressively it's very, very hard to sort out what is real and what is not. And the repetition of information uh, also. And, and look, Donald Trump is very skilled at this. I'm not saying this is a Democrat. Obviously, I feel he's a serious threat to our country and the, our Constitution. But his ability to use social media, he has done what Roosevelt did for radio in the 30s, 
and Kennedy, Kennedy did for television in the 60s, he has done for social media, especially through his use of Twitter. And he's brought it to a very dangerously, dangerous level. Well, you know, Trump, as we all know, has been doing these press conferences on a daily basis. And um, poor Biden, you know, is Biden in the basement. He's had a hideaway in his house. And um, has that been an unfair advantage for Trump? Well, you know, a lot of the media has got to make a very tough decision about whether they're going to cover a presidential press conference, if you will, that has become a rally and become a fount of misinformation and political attacks, or are they just going to hone in on what's the news aspects of it? That's a decision the networks have got to make. You know, we saw in 2016 that Trump rallies were getting enormous coverage. They were being covered from the beginning to the end. And uh, several network heads that we both know made the comment, it's bad for America, but it's good for TV numbers. Yeah. And so that's a re that was a reality at that time. And I think, frankly, the media's got to make a very important decision about, because we've never, had a, we've never had a dialogue like this. It's unprecedented. They've got to make a decision. Are they going to cover the news? Or are they going to let themselves be used as a political rallying point? Well, the thing is, CNN just came out with a story, which I found fascinating, saying that actually Trump was hurting himself and that Biden, by being quiet, I don't know, I found it an interesting thing. It's the turnaround of what you would expect. Well, you know, it's, it's very... It's historically very interesting because we as a country tend to rally behind our leaders in moments of crisis. That has always been our response, our response to 9-11, our response uh, certainly uh, in the beginning of the Iraq war, just in terms of recent history. Uh, we've always seen our country rally at times of great crisis, uh, and that's not unusual. This is, the polling reflects a very different message. And for example, the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll that was out two weeks ago, it showed in April of 2019, Donald Trump's approvals were at 46%, his disapproval at about 52%. A year later, April 2020, we've already had impeachment hearings. We have the coronavirus pandemic. His numbers have not changed. 46% approval, 52% disapproval. But here's what's very telling in that survey. When they asked, who do you trust handling a crisis? Joe Biden won comfortably. Who do you trust handling the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. Joe Biden won comfortably. And in every poll, Fox News had Biden up by nine points. Uh, the Wall Street Journal, MSNBC poll had Biden up by six. And so I think what you're, I think what you're seeing is uh, the nation's a bit more discerning. I think because we are focused on our health and safety being much more scrutinizing and demanding a greater level of accountability. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the elections. Let's talk about, um, I'm a, a Ohio native, mm -hmm. born and raised in a swing state is an interesting place to be because there, there's actually a lot more debate um, that's going to actually, you know, mm -hmm. affect the election. So let's talk about this. So there it, are, you know, say they can't have in-person ones, say they have to do mail-in ballots, say mm -hmm. any of these scenarios, how, how does that change things? How does that change the election? Well, it doesn't, but the media coverage around it changes it enormously. For example, Ohio is a perfect example. They have mail-in voting. They have for years. And the Republican governor of Ohio has defended it and pointed out it's very straight, it's safe and secure, and a very appropriate way to have an election. Yet you see Donald Trump now sounding the drumbeat, repetition again through the media, that mail-in voting is corrupt. It's gonna to lead to falsifying results. He also pointed out, correctly so, that the more people vote, 
the more it helps Democrats. Every now and then he tells it, you know, the old expression in politics, a gaffe is when you tell the truth. Every now and then it comes out. Yeah. Well, so, and he also himself has mailed in his own ballot to absolutely. his now state of Florida. But you see, the strategy is to undermine the results. Mm-hmm. You saw in 2016, he lost the popular vote by 3 million. And then he made the argument afterwards, well, that was because people voted illegally. That was well documented. He formed a presidential commission. Yet it had to be closed after several weeks. It had to be closed. Sorry, I don't know why that's happening. That's you. I thought it was me. I got the joy of. uh, I turned off all my phones, but nevertheless, but you saw in 2016 formed a presidential commission, and the Republicans shut it down because there was no evidence. Likewise, here you've got leading Republicans around the country defending voting. Well, how would you? What do you you suggest to the media to how to cover that? How do you cover that? Uh, you know, I feel that the media is always trying to say we are the we're the truth. We're the you know how how do they do that when the president of the United States is up there on his pulpit, you know, every night spewing this out? That's the defining challenge. And I think the media is doing a better job than not, but it's it's a defining challenge because you you have a president who's been so consistently strategically deceitful and spread such misinformation either out of ignorance, out of uh, personal venom, or out of a political strategy that the media's got to challenge it. They have to fact check. And frankly, it's up to the public as well to finally, this is our democracy and we are ultimately the ones who have to defend it and protect it. We have to do our own fact checking. And we've never had more fact checking sites. PolitiFact won the Pulitzer Prize for fact checking. The Washington Post fact checker, the AP fact checker. Every major source has a fact checking division. And if you do go online, you'll find uh, the defense of mail-in voting and why it's safe and secure. And the bigger point is, We shouldn't have to choose between protecting our health or protecting the right to vote. It's an absurd and totally inappropriate uh, distinction. But But you're seeing, I just want to go to the point, you're seeing it's not just mail-in voting. You're seeing a continual pattern of now the right wing trying to diminish access to voting. They're requiring voting by presenting an ID. Uh, For example, you've got to get a driver's license or you've got to get a birth certificate. And they're very upfront. Republican leadership has made it clear it helps them. Because it, when you acquire identification, like a driver's license, for many people who don't drive, it limits their ability to vote. That's well, but that could have the opposite effect, too, because some people have thought that they earned the right to vote, especially in the South, among the African-American voters. And they do make a difference. And when you tell them they can't do something, they tend to get out there and try to do it. And I think that you saw it in South Carolina where Biden won for the first time and it changed the face of the whole election. So you can't underestimate the value of the way that voters do perceive what they're doing, you know, on the on the level of the presidency and in these different parties that that have their own agendas. But you know, it goes back to the point though, it's up to the media in terms of how they cover these issues to really present the facts before the people, because I believe, you know, we take our voting right very sacredly. And the idea of pursuing strategies, for example, you mentioned Ohio before, they're famous for having multiple precincts to vote in white areas and very limited ones in African-American areas. Why should anyone have to wait online for an hour and a half to vote? There's no reason for it. Voter suppression. Gerrymandering. Well, you mentioned, Robert, you mentioned fact-checking is one of the important things that the media, what other role do you think the media will and should play in this election? 
you know, in many ways, the media and how they challenge both parties, and there are questions that have to be asked of Democrats for sure, and challenges that Democrats have to respond to without question. The questions they ask and their persistence in getting those answers, I think will be very critical. For example, all too often now, we're seeing politicians from both parties use Twitter to yeah. just try to bypass professional news journalists. And for, for, and, or Facebook, for example. I mean, you know, the same constitutional experts on Facebook for, during impeachment are now scientific experts during the coronavirus. Right. The amount of misinformation that is circulating in our everyday dialogue, in what's passing for as news, I think is incredibly, uh, incredibly dangerous and a threat to our democracy. Yeah. So I can, think, I, can I ask another question on elections? Mm -hmm. um, Judy sort of mentioned in, in the intro, but what advice or what would you tell Biden or, or even Trump to do when you can't have rallies and you can't canvas door to door? How do you, I mean, there are obviously people that are going to be in their camps, but these, and, and again, this is, brings me back to my warm, fuzzy Midwest, these kind of swing states, mm -hmm. how would you recommend the media go in or the, the I'm sorry, that Biden and Trump use the media to get their word out when they can't do it via the normal ways? Well, there, there are a whole range of technological ways to get your message out. There are a whole range. We're, we're living in one example now, a Zoom conference for a podcast. And you're going to see more of that. You're going to also see more personal connections, not just from the candidates, but also with their supporters. You still can dial in call people. I know there are many parts of the country where they're doing Zoom, uh, Zoom coffee, yeah. clutches in people's homes. That's now been replaced by this. Uh, and so the, the, the elections are ultimately driven by personally connecting. Whether you personally connect uh, with your message, whether you personally connect in a physical way, it's your personal connection that makes the difference. And it's going to be a real challenge. I mean, yeah. obviously, Joe Biden is restricted in what he can do. Uh, it's going to affect momentum. It's going to affect the type of buzz. If I can just digress for a moment and talk about the upcoming conventions. National conventions have always played a very pivotal role. The media likes to castigate them, and I understand that. But national conventions are where the country, for the first time, really en masse, stops, looks, and listens to the presidential nominee. They focus on the biggest decision a candidate makes, who their vice presidential choice will be. And, and ultimately, you get a bounce. If you do it correctly, you get a very dramatic bounce. Bill Clinton was in third place when his Democratic convention began in 1992. He came out of that convention in first place. He was running behind George, w., George Herbert Walker Bush and Ross Perot. He came out of that convention in first place. So here's the big question for you. Given the pandemic, will we even have conventions this well, summer? That's what I'm getting to. You know, that's exactly right, Lynn, because, you know, it's tale of two parties. The Democrats are now looking at a virtual convention because the reality is you've got to ish deal with the issue of public safety and health. Mm -hmm. you, have, you can't put, in my view, you can't put 20,000 people into an arena, mm -hmm. not to mention what they have to go through going to the hotels, traveling to the location of the convention, waiting online to get into the convention hall. Can't work that way. That's right. Republicans have said, we're having our convention. They're doing it. I'm curious how many hands Donald Trump will shake if he feels right. it's all so safe. But he even shows point, up, he could be virtual. <laughs> yeah, know? right, exactly. He'll have all everybody, but he wants that. But he politically, strategically, he wants the momentum of that fight of that big kickoff rally. 
the last day when he's on the stage with his vice presidential choice launching his campaign. We have a real challenge on our hands. If we don't have a convention, and I don't believe we should, how do you launch, how do you create momentum to launch the campaign? And will there be debates? Well, there, have to, there still can certainly be debates. There's no excuse for not having a debate. You know, may not have an audience, but you can have the candidates sitting six feet apart from each other. It's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. There absolutely can be debates. Well, let's talk a little bit about advertising and the role it's going to play. We did a podcast um, with Jerry Delfina, who mentioned that he thought political, and he gave examples of how political advertising has been brilliant in the past and really worked, but it was his opinion that it isn't working now only because you've got divided camps, everybody knows who they're gonna vote for. Um, and so it's you know just throwing money away, even though every year they spend more and more money. And that's one of the reasons Jerry Delphamina is one of the most brilliant advertising people, not just of his generation, but maybe in history. Don't tell him I said <laughs> okay, that. I'll, tell, I'll tell him that, I'll tell Don't him tell that. him I said that, but it's true. But I'll tell you where advertising matters in the political process. Because the camps are so divided, the question is, how do you energize your base to come out? How do you mobilize your base to come out? That's where advertising is really critical. Now, going into this election, Republicans are energized. 70% of Republicans say they're energized. Democrats, it's about 40%. So Democrats have a real problem right now mobilizing our vote to come out, quite frankly. Republicans are much more energized. You know, it's yeah, I would have thought that was the opposite. Yeah. I bring it up. If you look at the if you look at the turnouts in the primaries and the caucuses, turnout's been up dramatically from 2016. But maybe because it's such a, a discouraging time, maybe because the Democratic nominee is not clearly defined and not getting a lot of airtime, you don't see that level of excitement you should see. I think it'll I think ultimately the energy level will go up. But that's well, where, how? How? How will it change? It'll change, I think, partially because of advertising, partially because Donald Trump is a great mobilizer for Democrats. I don't know anybody can pull a vote better than Donald Trump. I mean, in 2016, no one thought he was going to win. Right. So as a result, you had Democrats, very frankly, not worried about the election. And you saw, the big debate was who was, going to, who was going to be the nominee, who was going to be the president, Sanders or Clinton. Now it's just about a Democrat winning. So, so what about, what if, this is a really interesting um, thing that Jerry also spoke about a little bit, but uh, not on our podcast, but about if media were to go black today, just right. no more media, like, who, what, how do you think that would affect what's going on right now? I think it would be a real loss to the democracy. I think it would, I think it could destroy the democracy if we lost media. I really do. Where would people get their news from? Where would people get their facts from? What would they rely upon for information? Facebook? What would they rely upon for their news? What's put out on Twitter? Uh, you know, it's not, we, I, look, our constitution, our democracy is driven and survives based upon the free flow of information that helps us make decisions. And we've had contentious presidential elections my goodness, go back to the founding of the Republic. They were vicious elections, right. and there were no holds barred. But we've never had a climate like this, right. in my view. I think, it's, I think this election, frankly, I believe that Donald Trump's presidency is the greatest threat to the country since the Civil War. And I believe our democracy rides on this election. Right. And so, from my perspective, 
if you do lose media, do, do, do lose media coverage, the newspaper shut down, we lose our TV, our radio, we lose our fact checking, uh, we lose access to journalists on social media, what's left? He does, though, diminish the media at every turn. Um, so there's not a lot of faith in what's real and what's not. You know, you know something? Every president diminishes the media. We've never had a president literally insult them. So in the lexicon now, it wasn't before. Um, I don't know. What do you think that's going to mean for the election? Especially... You know, that's a really good point, Lynn. That's a really good point. We've never had a president just publicly, daily, attack and berate reporters. I mean, with the most juvenile name-calling. Yeah, we don't have a brain you were born with. Or, you know, you guys are frauds, or whatever he says. And it's a way of avoiding the question. And yes, it always plays with a certain audience. You always hear about Donald Trump's base. And we always wonder, what's going to happen to his base? His base is not going to change. His base is solid. It's 44%. I'm more focused on the 56% that have to be mobilized and energized. Uh, and yeah, he really gets mileage. But I'll tell you something. If you look at the midterm elections, it's a very good reality check in 2006, in 2018. For everyone who says, you know, you know, for everyone, you know, the same geniuses that told us Donald Trump couldn't possibly win in 2016, now tell us he can't possibly lose in 2020. Yet the reality is, if you look at those midterm elections, it was the largest victory for, a, for one party in the history of our republic by popular vote and percentage, unprecedented. And it was Democrats winning in Republican regions that never went Democrat before. But if they held the election today, would it be the same as it will be on November 3rd? Or will it be, would it be? I guarantee you, this election is going to go through a lot of highs and lows. And there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of, um, a lot of uh, attacks, counterattacks, a lot of false information out there. They've not even begun to attack Joe Biden yet. Not even begun to start, you know, starting to unload. You saw what happened with Hillary, of course. Yeah. with the leaked emails from, uh, from Russia, we found out, and the other issues. We've not even seen that yet. But the different dynamic is Donald Trump represented in 2016 the voice of every angry, frustrated person, and Democrats represented why they were frustrated and angry. I think mm -hmm. that if you saw in 2018, the midterm election, Trump did all the old playbook, attacked the media, advocated for the wall, all the, you know, the, the same scorecards you saw in 2016, it didn't work. And we had, and why didn't it work is the question. I think that's something you, I think it's something, something to explore from a media standpoint. I was well, going to say, that's a great, that's a great way for us to kind of round out is that is the question moving forward and the challenge for the media moving forward. Well, you know, I would say to you, the reason 2018 was such a turnaround. Now, in fairness, every party out of power, every party that wins the White House loses seats in the midterm in fairness. That's just the way it is. But the scope of the depth of this victory was stunning. Why were Democrats winning in Orange County, right. which is a Republican bastion, the suburbs of Northern New Jersey, uh, winning in congressional seats in the suburbs of Tulsa? Mm -hmm. I didn't even know we had Democrats there, quite frankly. Uh, you know, what was that about? I think it was about the fact that at the end of the day, I think voters want stability. They want to see results. And this was, by the way, in a good economy. The Democrats had this massive victory in no, 2018. Without changing, it's all, oh, I'm sorry, Robert. No, please go ahead. 
No, I mean, back to the beginning, because you just said something that was interesting. You mentioned the economy. And just to sort of come full circle, if you will, um, if aren't there two scenarios, though, one being if, let's say, this pandemonium exits early uh, or, or well, which doesn't look likely, but what if it does? And what if the economy does come back a little or it seems to be going in the right direction? Wouldn't that have a totally different outcome than Absolutely. Things- Absolutely. I mean, if there's a vaccine by this summer or medicine that reduces coronavirus symptoms from a 10 to, let's say, a 2, and we see the economy rebuilding, that's going to give Donald Trump momentum. He's going, to claim, he's going to claim victory. He'll take credit for it, no matter where the medicine comes from. Now, will the public just disregard what we've been through? Will they disregard, will they discount um, the misinformation that was put out there? Will they disregard how unprepared we were, the signs that were ignored? That's what this election is going to decide. Ultimately, this presidential election, unlike any other, while they're always about incumbents, this one's about Donald Trump in a way we've never seen. Wow. It's about his character. It's about the type of leadership he, he shows or doesn't show. It's about the stability he, on my view, doesn't represent. And I think that's why you saw such a dramatic change in the midterm. Because the country, had, they want to return to stability. They wanted to return to a sense of normalcy, even in a good economic time. Yeah. I so, hear optimism in your voice right now about that. Well, I'm optimistic, but I tell you, Judy's point's really well taken because the news cycle, going back to news for a moment, and it's a really critical point that I hope we can focus on for a minute here. The news cycle changes so quickly. We forget or we ignore or get distracted by substantive issues, and oftentimes the distractions are very deliberate. I was going on a network uh, months ago when Mike Pence went to the the cast of Hamilton. And Donald Trump tweeted an attack on the cast of Hamilton. And I was asked to come on and talk about that tweet. And I said, that's just a distract. It was a distraction from a much more substantive issue on the environment where, frankly, he got caught. And they said, that's a really good point. We'll get you next time. So much for my influence on the networks and their broadcasting. (laughs) They wanted to focus on Hamilton and Trump tweeting about it. He is very skilled at changing the topic. And so it's going to be up to the media to see how persistent they are in focusing on these issues. We don't even talk about the idea that he tried to use uh, defense funds to blackmail and bribe a foreign government to get dirt on his opponent. That's yeah. off the table. Nobody remembers that anymore. That's ancient history. Who remembers impeachment, right? And he right. was impeached. So. That's right. So, um, you know, we have to, that's going to be a real issue to the news media. Are they going to be distracted? And I can tell you in 2016, just think about it. The media coverage around Hillary Clinton's emails, which the Trump State Department later documented, uh, this is the Trump State Department, said, well, there was no threat to national security. And it was, uh, and that was the end of the discussion. And in fact, many reporters like Jeffrey Tubin of CNN apologized for the excessive coverage they gave the email story. Or for that matter, the Clinton Foundation. The Clinton Foundation was vilified across the board in every platform of media. And in fact, it turned out the Trump Foundation had to be shut down for their corrupt behavior in New York State. Yet the Clinton Foundation became a story. Russia stole Hillary's emails. People were reporting on those emails even though they weren't even verified. So do you trust the media 
to do a good job and do the fact checking and the digging that you say if they're so you know inclined to chase today's story you know first of all i do i have a normal i really do believe the media is the key to saving our democracy and our constitution i really do but i am concerned i'm concerned when i see the media cover a presidential briefing that is nothing more than a campaign rally and political attacks and treated as news i'm worried when they get thrown off a major story to cover a ridiculous distraction mm-hmm. i think we're seeing less and less of it quite frankly i think you're seeing a greater scrutiny by the media and in fairness to them why wouldn't you cover a president yeah i mean it's a train wreck everybody wants to watch it people are captivated right and it is the president he has the whole cycle yeah. he has the whole cycle going to come out of his mouth next so but, and they make money on that let's be honest sure they do sure they do and i want them to make money i want them to succeed but the point here is it's going to be the media is going to be to me the defining the, the, the defining conscience and fact checker for the nation because there's a lack of confidence in either party at this point. You know, the great the most dangerous words to me in the political language today is the phrase both sides. Those are the words cowards use when they don't want to take a stand, don't want to fact check, don't want to understand or learn about the issue, well both sides do it. You know something? No they don't. In fact, I was, you know, you think about what the Republican Party represented when Margaret Chase Smith, a Republican from Maine, took on Joe McCarthy. Or for that matter, when the Democrats took on Lyndon Johnson over Vietnam. Or the Republicans went to Richard Nixon and said, you've got to leave. Or the integrity of Barry Goldwater as a U.S. Senator who was uh, respected women's rights, respected the LGBT community at that time. He was a true libertarian conservative. These people are not conservative and they, are, they do not respect the Constitution, the Trump administration. Well, that- with that, we're hoping that we can do a better job, we in the media, we who are policing the media. And this is we the people. the people. We the people, exactly, more we than the, the people. Media. Thank you, Robert Zimmerman. You're always terrific. And this was really a fun conversation. Honored to be with you all. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the News Broads with Gina Cerrito. Lynn White and Judy Licht. Our producer is David Levin and audio mixing by Barry Hirschberg.